So I've been really joyful this week. Like I've been really like I've just had so much joy. And I really wanted to share a joke, but I couldn't find one. Okay, so this is not really a joke, but it's a sad story. But it just came to mind. So yeah, please do feel sorry for me. So I remember when I was in year four. Um, you know, does everyone remember merits? Yeah. So basically, so I was winning, obviously, and um, obviously my name is my full name is Adewale, so I was always number one, and I had the most stars. But there was some guy who who, who probably uh, let's just call him Charlie. I can't remember his name, but Charlie, all of a sudden, like alphabetically, he was number seven, and he had one more star than me, and I was thinking, God forbid. So I remember everyone was out, um, I was about to say recess, but I'm not American. <laughs> but everyone was out during their break, um, and I snuck back into the classroom, and I went into my teacher's drawer. I know, right? You know, BC, before Christ. <laughs> so I went into my um, teacher's drawer, and I found the stars, and I literally put like three more stars, so I was beaten <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, um, and what was so crazy, because uh, my family was moving, so I literally had one more week, but I was like, I must win. Like, I can't, like, my legacy must be that I had the most merits. Um, but anyway, so what essentially happened is that the day after, my teacher um, called me up to the front, and I thought she was going to applaud me, saying that, you know, well done, Wale, you, you've, you've literally built a legacy in this place, in this primary school. Everyone is going to be saying your name when you move on. <laughs> but no, she literally said, Wale is a cheater. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> in front of my whole class of 30 kids, she was like, Wale is a cheater, and he added more uh, stars in his merits. And I remember just feeling, s I, feel, I feel like that was one of the first time I ever felt shame, <laughs> like in year four. But I remember feeling so much shame, and um, that was the final day of school for me in that particular primary school. And I'm now I moved to another um, area, so I moved to another school. But yeah, that was my legacy there. <laughs> so, God forbid. <laughs> okay. So today, um, I want to speak to you about success. Um, but in particular, about succeeding well. Um, so nowadays, um, there's been so many things about um, promotion, about um, exaltation and stuff like that. But I feel like people don't really talk about succeeding well. And I just went online. I was looking for different um, people's definitions of success. And I'm just going to read you a few of them. So the first one is success is always doing your best. Success is having a place to call home. Success is remembering to, um, remembering to balance work with passion. Success is taking care of your needs. Success is knowing your life is filled with abundance. Success is about promoting others. Success is overcoming fear. Success is seeing your children graduate, for some of you graduates. Um, success is learning, about lose, is learning that losing a battle can help you win a war. Success is loving, is loving and being loved back. Success is standing your ground when you believe in something. Success is celebrating small victories. Success is never letting a disability hold you back. And my favorite one is, and, I, and I've 
and I was really happy about this because it was literally the first link in Google. But this person said, success is to live each moment to the maximum with a positive attitude, smile and genuine enjoyment for life while loving my family and the people around me and pursuing the plan and dreams that God has placed in my heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Google. So, um, and I believe there's one person in the Bible in particular that really embodied um, the definition of success. So, so many times when the Bible literally says that, and this person was successful in this, they went to go and um, fight um, a particular nation, the Philistines, that were successful in this. And that person was David. And we're really just going to look at the story of David. And um, there's many books, there's talks, um, TED Talks. Um, podcasts that basically talk about how can you be successful, but people don't really talk about how to succeed well and how to cultivate the character of success. So if you don't mind, I would like us to dive into that. Y'all with me? Okay, awesome. So let's turn to First Samuel chapter 16. And when you're there, say amen. Wow, so no one's there. Okay, when you're there, say amen. Awesome. So, okay, let me give some backdrop. I feel like some of us already know the story of David, but if you don't, and if you do, I'm still going to tell you anyway. So, basically, the story of David is that um, God spoke to Prophet Samuel, and basically, a prophet is just someone who God gives divine inspiration. And God spoke to Prophet Samuel and said, go to the house of Jesse, who had, um, including David, it would have been eight sons, who had um, eight sons. Am I right? I think it's eight sons. Who had eight sons. And um, God said to the prophet, go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of them to be king because I, I'm going to choose one of his sons to be king. And um, so essentially, this is what happened. So let's read from verse 6. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So this is um, David's eldest brother. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this just kind of gives us an insight of how God chooses people. You know, the world says that God chooses, um, the world says that we choose the people who are the strongest, who are the most intellectual, who are the most talented. But we can see that God's only characteristic for choosing someone to be king in this particular context was the purity of the heart. And, you know, in Proverbs chapter 29, it talks about how those who are impure of heart, humble heart, who have a humble heart will be exalted. So let's um, carry on with verse 8. Then, G then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, 
the Lord has not chosen these. So he asks Jesse, are these all your sons? Are, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And I find this particularly um, quite profound because I feel like sometimes we can be quite tempted to strategize and to develop ideas on how we can get in the room, of how we can um, get people to notice us. And, um, and I feel like that's actually the wrong thing to focus on. Like we said before, you know, God chose David, as you will see later on in the story, because of his heart posture. David was literally someone who served backstage, and as a result, God brought him to the main stage. And I just feel like God just wants to tell someone in this room in particular that you do not need to be in the room for him to bring attention to you. And that is really important for us to just really accept, because it means that we, we won't feel like we have to grab attention. We won't feel like we need to validate ourselves. And you know, a deep security is so fundamental. And you can see it in people when they have deep security in who God says they are. And um, I remember a few years ago, one of my friends, um, he was a part of like this big group and organization. And he basically just was saying to me like, Wale, I really feel like no one really, um, everyone takes me for granted, like I work so hard and no one really sees my hard work. And then um, in the midst of him just saying that, I just really felt like the Lord was giving me a word for him. Um, and after he literally finished like um, complaining, I just said to him, like, just like David, I believe that the Lord is going to bring you from the field, from the backstage onto the um, front stage, literally from the back line to the front line. And um, I was like, I don't know what that looks like in that particular context, but I feel like that's what he's going to do. And literally a week later, the person who was leaving the organization um, resigned and the everyone looked at him and said, will you lead us? And you know, that's what God does. Like, he, you, might, you might be someone that everyone has overlooked, but God doesn't forget you. So let's continue in verse 12. So he sent for him and had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance. And handsome, and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, and in the um, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramaha. Rama? I don't even know how to pronounce that. Anywho, so let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And while you guys are turning there, I'll just give paint a backdrop. So basically, what was happening... Whoa, God forbid. <laughs> so what was happening here was that um, the Israelites were facing the Philistines. They were their arch nemesis and stuff. I've just finished watching Marvel, so, you know, it's, it's still ingrained in me. So no spoiler alerts, honestly, I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah, just try to avoid me afterwards. Um, so their arch nemesis, um, the Philistines, and basically they had like this giant guy um, who was basically just shouting just proclamations that everyone, that all of the Israelites were basically intimidated about. So if we turn to verse 4, we read on from the story. 
So it says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he, he wore bron bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, so speaking to the Israelites, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Yeah. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. I just love that word, subjects. And serve us. Then the Philistines said, this, is, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, let's skip to 26. When you're there, say amen. That was a bit weak, but I forgive you. <laughs> okay, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this from uh, removes disgrace from Israel? Who is the uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why, do you, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. So basically, Eliab was just a hater. You know, he was, and there's just some people who were hates, but it is what it is. Perhaps he was just angry because he was not chosen to be king, and, but, you know, you don't need to be a sore loser anyway. But I just love how David responded. He says, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else, brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. So I just feel like this is just um, just a quick nugget of what to do when you are actually dealing with someone who's opposing you, when you're dealing with someone that's not really um, for you. Literally, the Bible talks about how David literally just turned away and spoke to someone else. So, yeah, if you want to take that, <laughs> that's what you need to do with your haters. And uh, 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servants will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. 
because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So what is David essentially saying? So David essentially is saying is that God has prepared me privately. And the work that he has prepared me privately by when I um, killed a lion and when I killed a bear will enable me to defeat this giant that I see publicly. And I feel like often we want to rush the process that God has in us. And, you know, um, I think it was someone, um, Bishop T.D. Jakes, that said, God hides you because he loves you. And it's in his mercy that he gives us time where we can actually cultivate the destiny he's put inside of us and to cultivate the giftings that he's put inside of us. And he prepares us privately in order for us to be more effective publicly. Does everyone get that? And I think last year I watched a Netflix documentary on K-pop. Yeah, I'm not really into K-pop, but I was interested in the story. But yeah, it's cute anyway. So basically, um, one thing that I uh, that really just stood out to me is that they basically said that when they're trying to find a band, um, it could be either a girl group or a guy group, they basically um, put out advert and like thousands of applicants will um, come in and they basically just audition them and stuff and then they choose like the top people. But they said even before they released their first song, that band will undergo intense training for two years. So they will um, take them through like singing training, dance training, A&R, literally teach them etiquette, how to present themselves in interviews and stuff in order for them to be bigger stars and in order for them to be more respectable stars. And I just feel like that's just a quick analogy of what God does with us, that he prepares us privately in order for us to be more effective publicly. And I feel like another reason why David had to be hidden in the field is because God needed to develop a new culture inside of him to combat the pre-existing culture. And the reason why David was able to speak so confidently, saying things like, like David literally said, who dare defies the army of the living God? That was, that was so ingrained in him. The reason why it was ingrained in him, because privately he saw that God has already delivered me from these creatures. Therefore, he had a culture of faith inside of him that I know God is good and he will deliver me from anything. Whilst, you know, on this other side, people were fearful. So I don't really want to talk for God, but I, I, I kind of believe that this perhaps was um, God's thought process. So essentially on this side, let's say that they were facing Goliath and the Israelites um, and the soldiers were here. And he was probably just thinking, okay, so my um, people are facing Goliath and they need to beat Goliath, essentially. But even though that these guys, um, the warriors here, are trained, are experienced, are probably the strongest people in all of Israel, they can't beat Goliath because they have a culture of fear. Therefore, I need to use an outsider that's not defined by the culture. And, you know, we're getting ready for um, our conference called Game Changer. And very often, in order for God to change a culture, he uses someone who's not defined by that culture. And you have a scenario of where David, let's just say he was how many acres away, where he was in a field, literally seeping revelation that, God, wow, you are a person that will constantly deliver me. 
So he brought an outsider, someone who was not even in the game, to play. And I just feel like perhaps some of us, we feel like we are outsiders in our families. We're outsiders in our friendship groups. We might feel like we're outsiders in our workplaces, in our courses, maybe even in this country, or maybe even in this church. And I just want to encourage you that God uses outsiders. He uses people who are not defined by the culture to change the culture. So I just want you guys to say, I am an outsider, and I'm proud. Amen. Amen. And just another thing. So another, another way I like to see it is that when David um, was in the field um, having his private moments, I call that the bench moments, where you're not in the game. You're probably just watching other people play. Um, I love basketball. So you're just watching people just shooting free throws, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait um, for my moment. I can't wait for my moment. But I just want to encourage you that do not despise those bench moments where perhaps you're sitting out, where perhaps you're just being overlooked. Because every great coach, when it comes to someone who is a game changer, they reserve them for a special time. Because it's the person that's on a bench that perhaps has new energy, new clarity, that God can give prophetic downloads that God can really cultivate a culture inside of them that's not been seen before. And that's what he does. And at the right time, he releases them to change up the score. So that's why I just want to encourage you that allow God to continue the work inside of you, to keep on healing you from your past, changing your mindset, installing new ideas and prophetic downloads to bring solutions. Because at the right time, he will put you in the game. Amen. Okay, let's turn to um, verse 48. So chapter 17, verse 48. It says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank in into his forehead and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine, Goliath, and killed him. And um, you would think, you know, King David, especially when everyone else, you know, the Bible talks about, was in dismay and terrified. You would think King David, um, King, sorry, I mean King Saul would be happy. Um, but he wasn't. He was jealous. And we can look um, more of that in chapter 18. So let's turn there. And here's a chance to redeem yourself. When you're there, say amen. Mm, we're still working it. <laughs> okay, so it says, when, verse 1, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with ten thousands, he thought, but me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye 
on David. And if you just read throughout um, the book, there's so many times that Saul tried to kill David. And um, let's turn to um, chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 5. So there was a time when um, David actually had the opportunity um, to kill Saul and to just show that he could have killed him but didn't David literally um, cut off some of his robe as a sign that I could have killed you so it says verse 5 afterwards David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe he said to his men the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And after Saul left the cave, and after Saul left the cave and went his way, and Saul essentially heard that David had the opportunity to kill him and didn't. And this is what he said in response. So let's go to 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just, you have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord, the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, or nemesis, does he not let him get, um, does he let him get away? May the Lord reward you, for the world you for may the Lord re reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be the king, and the kingdom of Israel be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe away my name from my father's family. Yeah, and I just really feel like this is such a vicious... Hmm? <laughs> uh, sorry, I've been talking too much. But I just feel like this is really a beautiful picture and just a great insight of what to do when you feel like God has called you uh, and when you're perhaps seeing that you're being promoted and being exalted. And um, I feel like, especially in those particular moments, it's still important to honor those around you. And, you know, most of the time when people are being granted with success, they feel like it's finally my opportunity to belittle the ones that have belittled me in the past. And we're very tempted to perhaps gossip about them or to perhaps even um, shut back opportunities that should be extended towards them or maybe even be indifferent towards them. And there was a particular song that I found where one rapper said, um, I want to rise to the top so I can spit at you. <laughs> and honestly, that is actually the world's perspective. The world's perspective is when I'm successful, I'm going to crush all of the ones that did something to me. And even though that might be tempting, especially um, for David with um, King Saul, when he had the opportunity to kill him, he didn't. And what does Jesus say to those who persecute us? How does he say we should respond? He says we should pray for them. And we should love our enemies. And just as a mental picture, 
you know, um, in the New Testament, when um, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and um, he was about to be taken by the Roman soldiers, Peter, one of his disciples, obviously was angry and probably quite flustered, um, took one of his swords, well, he probably just had one, but took his sword and cut off the ear of the Roman soldier. And what Jesus did is Jesus picked up the ear, put it back on his head and healed the Roman soldier's ear. And I feel like that's just a picture of Jesus just saying, this is not how I win. I did not win by basically crumbling and destroying other people. And the same still applies today. And I feel like when people gossip about us, when people try to put us down, maybe when people even physically or verbally abuse us, then a loving approach to those who persecute us gives them an opportunity to repent. And, you know, the Bible talks about that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And as Christians, as people that, you know, we say that we love Jesus, we need to follow suit as well. And I just heard um, of an example of a soldier. Um, she was a female soldier, and her sergeant was also another female. But she was a Christian, and she um, really just carried um, the light of God in her life. And she was so joyful. Um, everyone loved her. And her team weren't necessarily Christians, um, but because of her light inside of her, just because of how kind and tender-hearted she was, people wanted to know more about Jesus. And more people started giving, more of her teammates started giving her life. And um, this really annoyed the sergeant. And the sergeant was like, I'm tired of this girl. She's so annoying. She's just always so happy. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to abuse her. I'm going to treat her so badly and crush her. And to show that this characteristic and reputation that she caused Jesus inside of her is, is not real. It's fake. She's just like any one of us. So she really missed... Um, um, misused her and really treated her badly. And there's one day where she did something completely horrible to her and she said, yes, I finally got her. She's going to snap. She's going to snap. Um, and she went away and she went to her room and the sergeant basically found um, this soldier on the floor shining the sergeant's shoes. And the sergeant literally just broke into tears and said that, I've treated you so badly, and this is how you still love me. And she was like, I actually believe that, you know, um, God's love is real because I've seen it through you. And my question is that do we treat our enemies or nemesis or even competition in a way that testifies about Jesus? But anyway, after all of this, Saul still tried to kill David, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't really learn his lesson. So essentially, um, how does it end? Um, so what happened is that war broke out um, in Israel and the Philistines uh, once again came to attack Israel and they pursued Saul and his son. And obviously Saul was just like, um, you know, I'm not dying to the hands of the Philistines. So he committed suicide and basically just left the people of Israel scattered. And um, time later, they basically turned to David and said, you've led us in so many successful battles. Would you be our king? So David eventually did become king. But what I love so much about him is that through all of it, through all of the turmoil, especially with Saul, he did, he did not dishonor him. And he became king, but his reputation and his character was not tarnished. 
And this was basically about just to give you um, a quick narrative of David. He received his promise early on that he was going to be king. He was prepared privately. He served under others and Saul. He was threatened, abused, but did not retaliate. And then he was released and exalted to be king. That was his narrative. And I believe that's how you succeed well. And um, I remember some time ago, um, I, had, I had a particular friend. Um, let's just call him Andy. So um, Andy, uh, Andy was a ladies' man. Like he, like he literally was just a ladies' man. Um, but he was really um, witty, w- a really funny guy, and really intellectual. And yeah, just a great guy to be around. But there's one particular vice that Andy had. And he just had a really unhealthy desire to just be successful up to the point that he would even trample, trample on other people and he would try to get one up on other people just to succeed. And um, I remember in, in that period, I had a dream where basically um, I was in a really nice office and I had um, a massive oak table and was, it was in my office and I had like leather couches and stuff and I had like, yeah, a really nice suit. So i receive it. <laughs> um, and Andy um, knocked on my door. And I had like, pictures of like uh, my family and stuff like that. I like kids and stuff. And Andy um, knocked on my office door. And he was like, oh, Wale, I'm here. I was like, oh, bro, come in. Like, it's been a while. So he came in. And Andy, he was in a designer suit. Um, but it just didn't fit properly. His shirt was kind of creased. Um, his face looked a bit flustered and he just looked hot and sweaty and his hair was just a mess. Um, and he literally just came um, and sat on my couch and he was just like, <sighs> and I was like, bro, what's up? And he's like, Wale, like, how come you are so joyful? Like, how come um, life seems so good for you now? Like, why are you so happy? And I basically just looked at him and this was in my dream. I basically just looked to him and I said to him that, Andy, I have just as much money as you. I'm probably even richer. Um, and I have just as much influence as you. We both, in terms of the world's aspect, we are both successful. But the reason why I'm joyful and the reason why I'm happy with life is that I didn't compromise myself to get here. And I said, I've I've been friends with you. This was my dream. I was like, I've been friends for you. I've been friends with you for years, and I've seen that over the years, you've literally compromised your peace, your reputation, your purity, your joy, just to get to the position you are now. And that's how the dream ended. And basically, I just woke up, and the Lord just told me, it matters how you get there. And that's what I want to tell you guys today, that it matters how you get there, and to just encourage you to succeed well. Amen? So I'm going to end it there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So let me just um, pray for us. Yeah, so Father Lord, thank you for the dreams and aspirations that you place in our hearts. Our Father, Lord, we just pray that in every single step that we will glorify you in the name of Jesus. 
understand, Lord. I pray that even at temptations where um, at times when we feel tempted to retaliate at, at how people are treating us, or even at times when we feel like we're being overlooked, Father, Lord, I just pray that your presence, your heart will validate us in the name of Jesus. And Father, Lord, we ask you and we just invite you to speak words about us that will literally validate that we do not need to seek it in other places or in other people. And Father, Lord, we pray that we'll be secure in who we are. And Father, Lord, we pray that we should be people that even as you exalt us, we exalt the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.